we are, I firmly believe, to the last days. Certainly the last days of this present dispensation. But, but <clears throat> excuse me, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. I, every man. I invite you to join me this year, especially verse 6, that let our, to join me as we pray to let our speech be always with grace. That's unmerited favor. When we talk to a world that hates you, when we talk to a world that, that uh, is demeaning, when we talk with We'll go out there in a world that, that criticizes Christianity. Our response is to be a response of grace. Not the response that I'd like to demonstrate. But our response needs to be with grace. Seasoned with salt. Salt is a purifier. Seasoned with salt. That you may know how you ought to answer every man. How important that verse is. As we look at these resolutions this morning, the first resolution, if you're a believer, if you're not a believer, the first resolution, you need to be resolved to get saved. That's, that's the main resolution. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't want to take another breath without saying, Lord, I believe that you died for me, that you were buried, that you rose again. Lord, I believe the gospel. By faith, I trust in the finished work of Christ. By faith, trust Christ. Get saved. That needs to be the first and foremost thing you do in 2023. But if you're saved, let me encourage this to be your resolution. You're going to be resolved to take the Word of God seriously. That it's not just a book that sits next to your bed. It's not just a book that, that you pick up on Sunday morning. But it's something that you desire to devour. It's something you desire to learn, to know, to study. Understanding that Satan is active. That we are in a spiritual warfare. This is, we talk about the full armor of God, or the whole armor of God. This is our offensive weapon. This is the weapon that we take into battle when it comes to that spiritual warfare. And if you're going to be an effective warrior, you need to know God's Word. So first resolution, be resolved to know God's Word, to study God's Word read an article this week and I hesitated to bring it up to talk about it but the article was all about the demise of Christianity matter of fact the, the article was uh, reviewing a book that has been written on the demise of Christianity and the whole premise of the book was that in, in short, a few short years, based on the statistics, that Christians are going to be in the minority here in the United States. 
The whole thing is we're, we're already, uh, our influence is already drastically waning out there on the highways and the byways and on the streets. And these statistics were based on a book entitled Nonverts, The Making of Ex-Christian America. That's the name of the book. Nonverts. A nonvert is the opposite of a convert. And the reason they coined that phrase, and that is now a phrase they're using, is because 30% of Americans consider themselves non-religious or ex-religious. Yes, perhaps they used to go to church, but they no longer go to church. They now consider themselves non-verts. Basically, they say, we take, we take it back. Of course, for all, you, for all those non-verts, I would tell them quickly, they never were a convert to begin with. It's kind of sad, isn't it? A non-vert. But we have no one to blame but ourselves, church, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So people aren't hearing because we're not telling. We're not speaking. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. People aren't hearing what God's Word says. But let me assure you, the other side is screaming. The other side is broadcasting loudly and with enthusiasm against Christianity. Matter of fact, there's another term that's been used, that's being used, and I, it's new to me. Perhaps some of you are familiar with it. It's called the four-generation fade. Anybody heard about this? It's the four-generation fade. I thought it was interesting. The four-generation fade goes like this. Parents take their children to church, but their faith, they don't, it's not a priority to them. So their children are going to grow up and put less priority on their faith and their church attendance and they're understanding the importance of God's Word than their parents. Then their children are going to grow up and put no priority on their church attendance, their relationship with God. Their children are going to grow up without any concept of God. And you want to see a place where that is actually in display, on display? Just go to Europe. I mean, don't go to Europe, stay here. But that's exactly what they're facing over there. That's a reality. That's the world that we're looking at. 
And in a few short years, Christianity is going to be the minority. And I believe the reason for that is because we're not going out and sharing the gospel with the Lord, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ the way that we should be. This book was, is by a guy by the name of Stephen uh, Bullivant. Stephen Bullivant, if you want to look that up. He credits the internet and also education, the higher education, uh, the internet being a place where people can go and, and get uh, information that other people that share these kind of crazy ideas with and it just, it just keeps growing and growing. So he blames the internet. And my question is, I read, read, was reading through this article, uh, can this ship be righted? And then should the ship be righted? You know, I was reading it and I was thinking about it all. And, and my, my, I came to the point where I, my attitude was, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. Yes, we pray for revival. We pray for an awakening. We pray for people to get saved. But are we on the final end of that? And as we're on the final end, we, yes, we want to be preaching the gospel. Yes, we want to see people getting saved. But if we're as close to the end as I think we are, our whole position should be, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. There is a spiritual warfare, folks. It is heating up. Here's something you can't deny. You can't deny that right is wrong, wrong is right, that light's put for darkness, darkness is put for light, good is put for evil, evil is put for good. That, that's the world in which we live today. And if you don't see it, if you don't realize the danger then let me encourage you to get into the Word. Let me encourage you to spend time on your knees before, before God. We're at a point right now in this nation where our voice is being heard less and less Unless, and I'm going to tell you, there is no reason for the gospel not to go out. With all the modern technology, with all the, the, the ability and the, the funding that the church has, there is no reason in the world why the gospel shouldn't be broadcast 24 hours, and hopefully it is. But it just seems as if our voice today is a squeak, is a squeak where the opposite side, it's a massive effort to get their position out. Morality has just been turned upside down on its head. And again, because rights become wrong and wrongs become right. The other side is joyfully gleefully embracing humanism. And by the way, that is a religion. That is a religion. Humanism is people living by faith that man's going to find the answer. That, it's a religious experience. 
They have faith. They don't have faith in God. They'll deny that there's a supreme being. But they have faith in man. That man is going to, he, he's going to find all the, the, the answers to all the ills that, that beset us. And then they start listing all their ills. I got news for you. The, the list of ills that they, they start listening, that, that, that man's going to save us from, from global warming. When I go, what is that? Does that even exist? Overpopulation? Why, we've, we've got to come up with answers. So I know, let's devise something that kills people and reduces the population, like abortion or a virus that didn't exist before until we managed to put it in a, in a, in a lab someplace. Pastor, you're crazy. Am I? Am I? I don't think so. Mankind has answers for what they identify beset us. But I got news for you. What besets fallen man is sin. It is being separated from a holy, righteous God and behaving in just such a manner. So how do we as believers in Christ approach the future? How, with all the stuff that's going on. I mean, morality has been turned on its head. You, you realize that, right? You, you know that there are serious issues when drag queens, transvestites can go to a library and demand an audience with children so that they can introduce their lifestyle and cause their lifestyle and their perversion to be accepted and recognized. And libraries are all for that. They think that's good. But then you let somebody like Kirk Cameron who writes a book, a children's book, based on biblical principles, calls these same libraries and no, 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 that does not fit our community standards. Folks, that's the United States of America. Fortunately, so far two libraries have said, oh, you know, we've reconsidered. One in Indianapolis and someone in, in someplace in New York. So they're going to let, and the one in Indianapolis that first told Kirk Cameron he couldn't come, and they had even told him that, that you know, their, their community there uh, uh, just didn't fit that, that profile. I'm not exactly how they, they worded it. But basically, uh, they were open to, uh, to the homosexual agenda, uh, agenda and, the, and the transvestite. And, and they wanted to be inclusive. And, and they wanted the children to know that this is normal when it's anything but normal. See, that kind of goes back to the right's wrong and wrong is right. But they finally told Kirk Cameron, and, and originally they said, no, we, it, it just doesn't fit our community standards, and we doubt very seriously if anybody will come. Do you know they had the largest group show up for his reading 
than they've had in 130-something years. I, I don't know what they had, but there was like 2,500 people. It was standing room only. Standing room only to listen to him read his book on biblical principles to young kids. Families brought, they brought their children. Fortunately, I'm hoping that loving parents aren't taking their children to these others that they're allowing. But that shows you the state of our union. So, wasn't going to get into that. But, so how do we as believers combat that kind of nonsense? How do we as a church stand against the demoralizing, the corrupting of our nation? Well, the first resolution is know God's Word. There's no substitute for knowing God's Word. The second, believer, is rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We need to be Christians who enjoy the salvation that we have, that enjoy the relationship that we have with Christ. I think the attitude of rejoicing does three things. Or four things, because it really helps you in your walk and in your faith and in, in your attitude. But rejoicing attracts other people. Rejoicing encourages other people. And the third one I really like, it confuses the enemy. It makes the enemy go, what are they so glad about? Romans 12, 12 tells us that we are to rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. And, and as we get, go through these resolutions, one of the things that you're going to see is a common denominator in almost all of them is a prayer life, is an effective prayer life. Because I'm going to tell you something, Christian. You will not be able to stand against the cunning devices, the wiles of the devil, and what's coming if your prayer life stinks. And that's, that's just going to, I'm telling you, I'm preparing you. Need to, we all do, we need to work on our prayer life. But you ever notice how the world, and when I say the world, primarily Hollywood, how the world portrays Christians as sour-faced and judgmental and opposed to everything that's fun. I remember Saturday Night Live had a lady, the church lady, and she's supposed to, remember her? And she was supposed to be the epitome of, of every Christian woman, the church lady. It was silly. It was ridiculous. And granted, maybe some Christians do behave in that manner, but I'm telling you, for a person who is on their way to heaven, who has been redeemed by the precious blood of, of the Lamb, who stands in Christ perfect, that heaven is their home, they have no reason to be sour. They have no reason to be dour. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice evermore. To rejoice means to be exceedingly glad. It means to feel great delight. And by the way, not because of your circumstances. Not because, see, it's good to be joyful. It's good, it's easy 
to rejoice when everything is just going wonderful, isn't it? When everything just seems to be fine and it, things are on easy street, but boy, the time to rejoice, the time where that rejoicing really rises and shows you the power of God is when you rejoice during very difficult times in your life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Well, what do we have to be rejoicing over? Child of God? Joint heir of Christ? Do I need to go on? We have so much to rejoice over. The sin debt is settled. You're heading to heaven. You are dead to sin, not in sin. You're in Christ. Regardless of whatever else is happening in your life, when you start counting your blessings and understanding who you are in Christ, can't help but rejoice. Third, be resolved to be anxious for nothing. Some of these are in Philippians chapter 4. As a matter of fact, three of them are going to be in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious or worried for nothing. Folks, that includes the future. That includes whatever wicked men are planning and devising. Be anxious for nothing. And I understand that's easier said than done. It's easy to stand up here and go be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. But I want you to know I'm preaching to me as much as I am to you. Because it's one of the most difficult things for me. And I'm going to tell you something. The only way for us to be anxious for nothing is to be immersed in the Word of God. That's the only way to rise over that. See, I know me. And what I do when things aren't quite going my way or when I think there's been an injustice to me or to my family or if there's something wrong, my mind, I don't know why, it just goes to mean things. Am I the only way that's like that? I, I just, I, my mind starts planning and strategizing things that I could do to straighten that person out. I could put things right so I fret over them. And that's contrary to what God's Word says. To be anxious for nothing. You see, in verse 7, it says that when to be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and thanksgiving, make your supplications be made known to God. And what's God going to do? He's going to give us that peace that passes understanding. There are things that happen in my life, that happen in your life, that I cannot control. And I, can fix, I can't fix, no matter how worried I get, no matter how much I fret, no matter how angry I get. And as a matter of fact, the more angry I get, the worse the situation gets. But I can tell you this. One thing 
you can rely on the peace of God that passes understanding. And i got to tell you, there is a sweet surrender when you quit worrying and you say, Lord, that's yours. And not, not only that, but then get excited about how God is going to prove himself in a mighty, wonderful way because he's going to. That's the way God works. See, God loves to reward your faith and trust in him. God loves to show you that he is all-powerful, that he is on his throne, that you belong to him. Now, it may not always be the exact way that I would have fixed it. Matter of fact, it's usually not. Very seldom is it. But it's so much more glorious and wonderful when we let go and let God. i got to tell you. So be anxious for nothing. Me, I, I want it my way and I want it done a certain way. And I, and I want to do it within my might and my ability. And I found that I normally just mess things up in a big way. Number four. I think it's number four. Be resolved to think on those things which are pure. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's a promise of God. Remind God of that. That's his word, and it's okay to remind God of that. And you know what? He'll reward you as you remind him of that. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Can you imagine entering into 2023 and that scripture you embrace, that whatsoever things are honest, just, lovely, pure, all of those things you embrace and you think on those things and you say, I am resolved that that's going to be my attitude. Because I'm going to tell you something. The things you think think on and consume for your spiritual health are just as important as the food you feast on for your physical health. How important is that we obey God's word? The next one is be resolved to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us that we are to pray without ceasing. May we pray more in 2023. And here's, may we stop looking at prayer as something we do in order to ask God for things. May we get away from that whole concept of prayer. 
where we approach God as if he is a vending machine and we're going to stick in coins of faith and we're going to expect him to dispense everything. That's, we need to stop. It's okay to ask God and to bring your cares and your supplications. Philippians 4 told us to do that. But we need to start looking at prayer as being communion, communing with your Savior, talking to him. Sharing your life with Him. Acknowledging Him. Being thankful for Him. Prayer and praise and adoration and just communing. There used to be a, a song, I mean, still is a song, that uh, the words went, uh, I didn't come here to ask you for anything. I just came to talk with you, Lord. You ever heard that song? Anybody heard that song? It's... Uh, uh, you've answered so many prayers or more that I forgot to thank you for. I just came to talk to you, Lord. Maybe tomorrow there'll be trials and sorrows and a thousand teardrops may fall. But until I reach tomorrow's task, I have no special favors to ask. I just came to talk. Wow, that needs to be our attitude as we enter our closet, as we go to our private time, as we drive in our car. Just don't close your eyes. Lord, I'm just here to praise your name and to thank you for the salvation that I have in you and knowing that one day I'm going to see the nail scars, knowing one day I'm going to see the nail prints, I'm going to see where the thorn of crown, the thorn of the crown of thorns was placed. Lord, how far away is that day? Because we're getting homesick. Be resolved to give thanks in all things. I think this really is the most difficult. First Thessalonians 5.18 Be resolved as a church family, as a believer, to give thanks in all things. Now that's a little easier to do than Ephesians 5.20. Ephesians 5.20 tells us to give thanks for all things. One, give thanks in all things. And seeing we can grab Romans 8.28 for we know that all things work together for good and for, uh, for to them that are called according to His purpose. You know, we, we can... We can Embrace Romans eight twenty eight and say, "Okay, we're gonna we're, we're gonna we're gonna give thanks in this." But how do you give thanks for all things? That's a little more difficult, isn't it? Yet God's word tells us to do that. I've known families that have lost precious loved ones, lost children. Had a cousin this past week was tragically killed in an automobile wreck, head-on collision. Um, almost home, seventeen, just graduated from high school. Beautiful girl, friendly, popular. Her life before her, sweet mom and dad. 
how do you give thanks for all things? I can tell you this, at her funeral, 18 people came to know the Lord Jesus. And that's just, that's just the first funeral in a high school. The school's going to have one this week when the children, or the students come back because most of them couldn't get into the church. But 18 people came to know the Lord. I don't understand God's plan, His program, His purpose, but I know this. God loves his own. I know Psalm 116, 15, that precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. I know this. Even the 17-year-old ones. I know that there are people who are going to be in glory now because she was called home. And it was that opportunity they heard to hear the gospel and they responded. I, I still don't have an answer. How do you, how, how do you give thanks for all things? Because it's such a tragedy. It's so painful. Can't imagine. Can't imagine. Don't want to imagine. But I can tell you this. If we truly understood what awaits us in heaven... We would be grieving for ourselves, not Bethany. We would be grieving for ourselves if we knew what all she was enjoying and experiencing at this very moment. So do we really believe that heaven is everything that we read that it is in the Scripture? I think it's doubt that causes us to mourn and grieve. I don't know. I'm still working through that. But be resolved to understand that your citizenship is in heaven. That's where my citizenship is. Philippians 3.20 tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. Ephesians 2.6 tells me that I am seated in heavenly places. I'm here to tell you right now, my citizenship is in heaven. My hope, my faith, my confidence is not in a Congress or a White House or a Constitution or anything that's going to pull us out of this global elitism that is trying to come up with a one-world government, a one-world religion, a one-world welcoming committee to an Antichrist. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling more and more homesick all the time, and I'm recognizing that my citizenship is in heaven. That's where I belong. And that brings me to the be resolved that we are to be ambassadors for Christ. To be ambassadors for Christ. Every time I get a chance to sit and talk with Earl, Earl always brings that up as a reminder. But you, we are ambassadors for Christ. Yes, we are, Earl. We are ministers of the word of reconciliation. And be resolved that in 2023, that's the job you're going to take on. You're an ambassador for Christ. You have a responsibility to share the gospel. Why is the world in the mess it's in right now? It's because fewer and fewer and fewer Christians are answering the call to the mission field. 
whether it's the mission field on the other side of the world or across the street. We're remaining silent. Silence is not golden when it comes to the truth of God's Word. Be resolved to study. We've already talked about that. Be resolved not to rely on your pastor. Be resolved to you keeping your nose in the book and studying. Be resolved, as 1 Timothy 6.12 tells us, to fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. Ephesians 5.8, walk as children of light. And I think that's interesting. We are to walk as children of light. Even in, even in a world that is ruled by the prince of darkness, we are still to walk as children of light. And that's what I would encourage you all to do. As a local assembly, may we be resolved to defend traditional biblical values, not hesitate to stand on the Word of God in 2023, not be coerced into succumbing to threats of revoking our tax exemption and, and other nonsense like that just because we don't toe the political line, but be resolved to be a church that tries desperately desperately to influence legislation for the glory of God. May we be a congregation that does all this in love and in grace. Going back to Colossians 4.6 Colossians 4.6 Let your speech 2023, be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. The Holy Spirit will guide you. The Holy Spirit empowers you. You can trust the Holy Spirit when you use His Word he will use you. Let's pray. Father, come before you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for a new year. We thank you for an opportunity to serve you. We thank you, Lord, that there's still breath in us. We're thankful that we're still alive. We're thankful, Father, that you have called us. There's a purpose you have for us. Father, may we work each and every day of this year to serve you faithfully and share the gospel with the world that needs to hear, even though it rejects. Father, may we understand our responsibility to share it. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that's not saved, that this may be the time when they realize the urgency, the urgency of trusting you. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name.